Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks podcast. My name is Jeff, and today Aaron and Greg and I are going to be talking about our favorite mountain bike rides in the state of Colorado. So for a lot of riders, the mountain biking in Colorado represents sort of the pinnacle of trail perfection. But the thing is, Colorado is a big state with a lot for mountain bikers to choose from. So we wanted to talk about our recommendations for various types of rides, starting with bike parks. So Greg, what's your favorite bike park in Colorado? Man, I've ridden a lot of bike parks in Colorado, but I still haven't ridden Winter Park yet, which I feel like is a big hole in my resume. So maybe you could fill me in on that later. But I've heard that Winter Park has uh, very short runs um, in general, like lots of trails that sort of link together and you have really short trails. And I like big, long descents. And uh, the Snowmass Bike Park actually has some really, really big descents, which is kind of fun. So you can take a two-lift combination and get a descent that's over 3,100 vertical feet, which is pretty huge for chairlifts. So Steamboat is a heck of a lot of fun. Yeah, I've, I have ridden Trestle, uh, at Winter Park is, it's been several years, but yeah, Trestle just seems to be set up for mountain bikers, uh, maybe a little bit better than some of the other parks. You know, they have tons of bikes to rent there and they've got lessons set up and they just, it just seems to be really easy place to go and ride at the bike park, um, which might be why it's so popular. It's also pretty close to Denver. So, um, a lot of people hit that one because it's it's just more convenient. I've also ridden Keystone, which is great riding. It's been a while since I've been there as well, but at the time that I rode, um, they didn't have a ton of like built up features. A lot of it was sort of natural terrain, um, which I prefer um, over sort of the sculpted, you know, Burmy stuff and big jumps. Um, but uh, that stuff is there as well. And then another thing to know is that you know, looking at a map or, you know, you've been skiing at say Beaver Creek before, and you really like to go back there in the summer. A lot of the resorts, they, while they do have lift service in the summer for bikes, you know, they have like a hook where you can throw your bike on. They don't all necessarily have, you know, what we would consider to be a bike park. So they're, they're not going to have, again, built up features and things like that. But if there is lift access, there's generally going to be good trails. So Um, If you do like backcountry riding, there is that. So some of the other bike parks um, in the state include Vail, which is good. Leah has ridden there, really found, you know, a ton of trails to choose from. Then there's also another popular spot is Granby Ranch. I'm not sure, Greg, do you know what the bike park is called there? Uh, I don't know the name of Granby Ranch off the top of my head because they've changed the name of the bike park a few times. Um, and the bike park name doesn't always match the, uh, <laughs> the, the name of the resort. So we probably have to ask Corey on that one, but that's a, a popular zone as well. Uh, I would have to argue with the 
concept of Vail being a good bike park. I've actually, it's the worst bike park I've ever ridden in my mountain biking career. So <laughs> sorry. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't saying it was a good bike park. I just said Leah's ridden there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They, but the Vail, I think is one of those examples where you can, can use the list to access some good sort of like uh, more backcountry type riding, like off the top of the resort bike park trails, not so much. Crested Butte is another one to mention. Again, they don't have like super long runs, but they're doing a great job of uh, expanding their offerings in uh, both beginner runs. Like you can actually take a straight beginner trail down that resort, which is kind of cool, uh, all the way up to some crazy double black stuff that I still don't think I'd like to ride. So, um, but again, they're also offering some great integration with the backcountry trails too. So you can drop all the way from the top of the resort down into town of Crested Butte. So not just the resort town, which is, is a fun time. Great. Well, speaking of accessing backcountry rides from ski lifts, what are some of you guys' favorite backcountry rides? And not necessarily ones that have lift service, but some of these do have shuttle service. Aaron, what's one of your favorites there in Colorado? Well, definitely the Monarch Crest. I know Greg will probably talk about that a little bit more since it's essentially his backyard Probably one of the best rides I've ever done, period, though, is Canyon Creek, which Greg took us on a couple years ago when we were out there for our, our yearly single tracks gathering. That was outside of Salida, right, Greg? Yeah, just over the other side of Monarch Pass. It was uh, just on the other side of the mountains from Greg's house, essentially, but it probably took us over an hour to get there. And it was, what, around like a 10-mile climb and then a 10-mile descent, and, uh, you know, being a flatlander down here in Georgia, uh, the elevation was certainly, you know, a, a big factor in, uh, the difficulty of that ride. I think we probably started close to 10,000 feet and climb up around 13,000, if I'm not mistaken. And a lot of the climbing, the climbing kind of started on gravel like forest service road and it was pretty mellow for a while. And then that road turned into this really chunky four by four road and it kind of mellowed out again towards the top once we kind of got up above tree line and it, and it wasn't that steep, but the elevation was just, you know, you're up there so high. I was having to push my bike, you know, I'd walk for a little ways and I'd be like, okay, it's not steep here. I can ride and I'd get on and I'd take five or six pedal strokes. And I'm like, I can't breathe. So I'd have to walk again and once you finally get to where the single track is, there's the, I think you call it the devil's staircase up to the top of the mountain. And that was just a hellacious hike a bike where, uh, you know, I had to stop walking because I was out of breath. So, you know, you push like 10 yards, stop, you know, take a breather for a few minutes and then push on. You're making it sound like Mount Everest. <laughs> yeah, I mean, kind of, it's, it was hard. Yeah. It feels like it, man. Supplemental oxygen though. So. <laughs> right. Yeah. But it, you know, you, you top out and, uh, you have just a amazing 360 degree views of all the mountains around there, a whole bunch of 14ers in the neighborhood. So yeah, that was an incredible ride. And then a 10 mile descent back to the car essentially. So the top part of the descent was really fast and open, high speed, high consequence, like don't clip a pedal here. Um, and then it got a little bit steeper and chunkier. And then eventually we got back into the woods and, uh, it got a little like flowy, fast, almost XC style towards the bottom. So it had a little bit of everything on the descent and it was just 
an incredible ride. I mean, to be able to descend for 10 miles straight was, uh, was awesome. So that, you know, like I said, that's one of the best rides I've ever done period. So, uh, can't recommend that one enough. Yeah. That, that one definitely has a good backcountry feel to it, especially once you get out past sort of the cabins and stuff, you know, you can kind of see like civilization disappearing as you pedal on, you know, and then once you're up there at the top, you know, you look around 360 degrees, you can't see a single house or yeah, there's nothing. Yeah. Sign of civilization other than, you know, a chunky Jeep road. So yeah, that's, that's a pretty awesome one. Greg, what about you? Tell us about the Monarch Crest Trail. Cause I know that's one of your favorites. Well, yeah, you guys outed Canyon Creek. I was going to keep that in the DL, but, uh, <laughs> but it's a, it's, that one is a, a pain in the ass to get to, honestly. So it's not like that one's going to be, you know, blowing up like Blankets Creek on a Saturday or something. It's, you got to work to get to that one. Yeah. Don't go. You'll destroy your vehicle. Your, your bike won't be able to handle it. Just don't do it. That's right. Yeah. And it's, it's moto legal. So, you know, we're not concerned about like massive impact from bicycles. Like it's pretty, pretty nasty already. Um, but if you want, uh, backcountry ride that's a little bit easier to access. The Monarch Crest is uh, definitely the one to do because you can get a shuttle all the way up to the top of the pass, which is at uh, 11,300 feet. But if you do the whole route, which is 35 miles, the classic route, you're still going to climb uh, about another 2,500 feet, which is a pretty, pretty impressive amount of gain from there. So yeah, the Monarch Crest, I can't say enough about that. It's one of the best trails I've ever ridden in addition to Canyon Creek. And um, it qualifies the best in a lot of the categories we're talking about. Best views, best uh, shuttles, best all kinds of things. So I just can't say enough about that. Whether or not it's an all-day ride, you know, that depends who you are. Some people crush that out in like two hours, you know. I can do three or four hours. Um, but if you want more mileage, there's more mileage to be had. A lot of people turn at the highway after about 30 miles of riding and ride back down the highway. But from there, you can actually take single track all the way into the town of Salida. But next thing you have to do after riding 30 miles and hitting the highway is hike a bike another three miles straight up a mountainside before you get to continue going back down. So not many people do that. <laughs> but, uh, That's a long hike a bike. <laughs> there's options to be had. It's a ways. Yeah, it's no, it's no, it's no joke. Yeah. And the cool thing that I like about that ride is there are so many options. You know, once you are up there at the top, there are a lot of different ways you can drop down and yeah, it always keeps it interesting. You know, I've, I've ridden in it probably three or four times and most of the time, yeah, it's something different. So that's, that's a pretty awesome. It's probably the quintessential sort of backcountry ride, um, that people know about in Colorado. The other one that I really enjoyed, I always enjoyed, uh, the Colorado trail. Um, when I lived in Colorado, you know, I would every weekend in the summer would try to head out and check out a different section of the Colorado Trail. And most of the trailheads, you know, as soon as you get a mile or so from the parking lot, you know, you're out there and it has a real backcountry feel. But the cool thing is it's it's accessible in a lot of different places. Greg, you've ridden a few sections of the Colorado Trail. What are some of your favorite parts? Yeah, I mean, really, the Colorado Trail, that's that's Colorado mountain biking. And even the Monarch Crest is actually a Colorado Trail segment and a Continental Divide Trail segment. Um, we just give it a special name. Um, but uh, a few other great Colorado Trail segments in other parts of the state. One classic one is uh, Kenosha Pass to Breckenridge, or you can go out and back to the top of Georgia Pass for a shorter ride. 
And that's one of the most um, accessible sort of high alpine rides from the Colorado Front Range. So lots of people can bump up from Denver and do that as a day ride. And it's um, absolutely beautiful, technical, challenging, gets you above tree line. I mean, that's a, that's absolutely classic. And the other end of it, so that's on like the, the Denver end of the trail, basically, almost. On the other end of the trail is another great section that works as a great day ride from roughly Kennebec Pass um, back down to Durango. And you can do that as a shuttle ride, um, but it's still, again, it's one of those shuttle rides where you're still riding 25, 30 miles and climbing thousands of feet of elevation. So, um, you know, the trick with the Colorado Trail is to figure out which segments are good riding because not all of them are, um, and then figuring out how to turn that into a day ride. So some segments like, again, Kenosha, Kennebec, Monarch Pass, those are popular. Other ones are more difficult to access. Right on. So another option, if you want to get a true, true backcountry experience, would be to ride your bike to the top of a 14er. Greg, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, when I think of an all-day ride, there's nothing that compares to riding a 14er. I mean, you absolutely feel like you are on top of the world, which is amazing. But it's not easy, you know saying you're riding your bike to the top of the 14er is generally a misnomer. Like you're generally pushing to the top of the 14er and then riding back down. So I've, uh, I've done a couple and I think we're going to talk about one we shuttled later, but one I've ridden up is a uh, mountain tarot, which has a Jeep road almost all the way to the top of it. Um, but another one that's gaining in popularity is Mount Albert, partially because it's the tallest peak in Colorado at over 14,400 feet. And it's uh it's all bike legal and single track. But if you're going to go ride a 14er, you got to be smart about it, especially with Albert. It's, it's a high point. So people are high pointing. I mean, there's, there's a lot of traffic. So I recommend going, uh, during the week, not on the weekend and, uh, even better during the week in the fall, like traffic drops off drastically after Labor Day and the weather's still beautiful and you'll get fall colors. So that's when I would go. So, you know, just be smart. Don't anger the hikers you know, that can lead to bad things. And obviously not all 14ers are bike legal. There's a bunch that are in wilderness areas. So don't ride in the wilderness, be smart. Um, but if you are smart, it can be an amazing experience. Okay. So what about some recommendations for trails that are more accessible, uh, to sort of the bigger cities in Colorado? I know people travel say to Denver or maybe even Colorado Springs for work or visiting family, so, um, I want to talk about some rides that are accessible to those towns. Greg or Aaron, do you guys have any recommendations? Really? The only one that I've done is, um, apex near Denver, which is in, I guess, golden Colorado. So that's got a good, uh, mix of everything. Some really, uh, steep and technical sections and lots of rock as usual. It's kind of par for the course in, in Colorado, but yeah, that's about my, extent of the uh, front range experience i've done some front range rides but i try to avoid the front range in general just because there there there's a lot of people i mean north denver all the way up to fort collins is one of the fastest growing areas in the nation right now and it it shows but you can't beat dakota ridge like dakota ridge is right off the interstate you can see it from all over the place but it is one of the most technical trails i've ever ridden i mean it is is no joke and just absolutely gorgeous, super entertaining. Uh, can't say enough about that trail and easy to get to. 
another great one is Lair of the Bear, and it's a little ways up the canyon uh, near Morrison, but it feels a little bit different than some of the other trails on the Front Range because you're a bit more sheltered, a bit more shade, which I like because it can get hot out there. But again, I try to. I've ridden some other trails, but Jeff, you used to live on the Front Range, right? What do you, What do you think are some of the best trails there? Yeah, so I lived in Colorado Springs, which is a decent sized city, not nearly as big as Denver. Um, and so the trails there, they tend to be less crowded and also they tend to be in better shape. You know, I, I used to travel up to Denver to ride some of their front range trails. And, um, I always just came back thinking, man, these places are overcrowded and the trails are really blown out compared to what we had in Colorado Springs. So like in Colorado Springs, I really liked, uh, riding Captain Jack's. That's a classic one that's been there for decades. Um, in fact, I think, I talked to Joe Breeze at Sea Otter several years ago and I asked him, uh, what was, you know, one of his favorite trails. And he said Captain Jack's, which I couldn't believe because to me it was kind of a local trail, but it is well known because it's a fun ride. Um, easy get to from town, not a super long ride. So a lot of these are going to be people's after work rides. So even if you are, um, say visiting Denver or Colorado Springs, and, you know, you head out to a trail system during the week. If it's afternoon, chances are there's going to be a lot of people out there, you know, getting their after work ride in. So don't be surprised if you see people. But also, yeah, like Greg and Aaron have mentioned, the trails are still awesome. You know, if you're coming from basically anywhere else, you know, the front range trails will rival the trails uh, in your hometown. Another one that I really like that um, sort of between Colorado Springs and Denver uh, is a loop called Mount Hermon. And I always like this one because it has like sort of a backcountry feel to it. It's one of these where you, you start on the front range and then kind of ride up this, uh, canyon. And before you know it, you're kind of one mountain back on the range. So, you know, you can't see the city anymore and you're, it feels like you're in the backcountry, but, um, really you're close to home. So that's definitely one that I would recommend. All right. So for people who are, you know, making a dedicated trip out of this, going out to Colorado to ride, what are some base camps or towns that, that you guys would recommend for people to check out or to possibly stay in for a trip? A lot of it depends when you're going. So if you're going like midsummer, peak of the summer, and you want to do high alpine riding, you really can't beat Crested Butte. Um, but you've got to go midsummer to go to Crested Butte because town of CB is at I'm going to get wrong now. It's either eight or 9,000 feet, maybe 9,000 feet. It's, it's way up there. And then the trails go up from that point. So, you know, the, the trails stay snow free for a very short amount of time. One time I heard a local's legend that Crested Butte only has 30 days of uh, frost free ground in the mornings uh, per year. So that puts it in perspective. So, you know, you go there mid season, but if you hit it right, it is gorgeous. It's a wildflower capital of Colorado, maybe the nation. I don't know. They have a big wildflower festival. So you hit wildflower season and it is both incredible trails and just the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. So I can't speak highly enough of Crested Butte. Yeah. Another popular one that maybe people don't necessarily think of as a Colorado town uh, is Fruta. You know, it's right on the western edge of Colorado. Um, a lot of people kind of lump it in with Moab because it is in that sort of zone, sort of high desert and 
it's definitely a popular place because there are just so many trails there to check out. You've got everything from, you know, fast and flowy to chunky, rocky technical stuff. But it's not so much of like a touristy town, though, like Crested Butte. You know, Crested Butte is set up as a resort town. And, you know, obviously in the winter, that's a big time. So there's all kinds of hotels and condos and places to stay. Whereas Fruta, you know, it's kind of a it's kind of a sleepy little town. Um, and so, you know, if you go there, you might be camping out or maybe is there a hostel there or something, Greg? Do you know? I, sorry, I don't know off the top of my head, but the good thing about Fruta is you're close to Grand Junction. And really, we're talking about the entire Grand Valley. And Grand Junction itself has good trails, and they've got hotels, they've got what you want, you know. Um, there's actually a surprising number of people in Fruta, though, like just residential. And uh, when I was there most recently, I just did an Airbnb, and we were like two blocks off of downtown. It was affordable, it was comfortable, it was a pretty good time. Nice. And what about Salida, Greg? That's where you live. Would you say that's a good place for people to use as a base camp if they're visiting Colorado? And, you know, I, I'm a, definitely a little biased, so take all this with a grain of salt. But I, I'm, a, I'm a big Salida fan, and, you know, I have traveled all over the nation and the and getting to be the world now. And I've never seen a climate zone so diverse in such a short amount of area as in Salida. So in town Salida, we have... Uh, dry trails that you can ride literally 12 months a year, generally speaking. Um, but then we have the Monarch Crest and uh, Canyon Creek that Aaron was talking about. Um, very, very short drive. And, you know, Monarch Crest drops you right back into Salida. So, which is, it's a pretty amazing sort of mashup of areas. So you can come here middle of winter, generally get good riding. Um, check the weather before you come. Um, but middle of summer, get amazing riding. And uh, in the shoulder seasons at the mid-elevations. So, I'm a big fan. And we've got the shops and the beer and the amenities to back it up too. Yeah, I'm sold. <laughs> so another place I wanted to mention was Durango. Um, and that's a place that's kind of, you know, remote and isolated from a lot of the rest of the state. It's in uh, the southwest corner of Colorado uh, in an area that's that's known as the Four Corners region. So that's where four states come together. Uh, you know, you got New Mexico, Colorado, Utah, and Arizona. Yeah. Arizona. That's weird. So, but Durango is really awesome because that's where the Colorado trail starts or ends depending on your perspective. Um, and then there are great trails in town there, uh, the telegraph system. And then you're also not too far away from Phil's world in Cortez, Colorado, um, which a lot of people are really big fans of. Um, it's a really unique sort of trail system out in that area. But Durango is a super cool town, you know, plenty of places to stay and eat and drink beer and stuff and has a lot of mountain bike history as well uh, with Ned Overend uh, making that his home base. And uh, the local bike shop there that's uh, one, of the, is one of the original sort of shops that started catering to mountain bikers. So uh, Durango is definitely a cool spot as well. Mountain bike specialists is the name of that shop. Yes, such a generic sounding name. That's why I can never remember it. It's just called yeah. like mountain bike shop. But yeah, definitely a cool place to go in. They have all kinds of, you know, old bikes and paraphernalia and stuff from sort of the glory days of mountain biking. Uh, so definitely a cool place to stop in. All right. So uh, we've talked about a number of trails that are sort of backcountry trails and front range trails. What about if people are going to Colorado and they just want to, you know, 
see the most scenic trails and take in all the the splendor of the state, where would you recommend that they go, Greg? So I've already plugged Monarch Crest, but you can get great views from there. But uh, it's hard to beat um, Trail 401 and Crested Butte for views. And I bring this up um, because it's it's one of the most famous, I think, mountain bike trails in the state. But I wouldn't call it great uh, mountain biking, um, despite what some people might say. Like the, the riding itself, like the trail tread and the flow, um, it, has, it leaves much to be desired. But you cannot beat the views off of that trail. So bring your camera stop, you know, take your time going down it because it's just a sensory experience. Yeah. And you mentioned the wildflowers there in Crested Butte. And, um, that's whenever I think of wildflowers, that's the trail that I think of, you know, the time that I wrote it, um, I mean, we must've hit it at sort of peak season. Um, and the wildflowers are just, you know, every color you can imagine. And they're, a lot of them are really tall. I mean, they're like, you know, up to your waist or higher, um, in a lot of places, you're kind of like brushing through these, you know, almost glades, uh, high up on the mountain. It's really, it's really awesome. Another one, then a similar vein to what Greg was saying, uh, this, this trail is not super fun to ride. You know, the tread itself is not great, but, uh, the scenery is awesome. So it's the Galloping Goose Trail in Telluride. And if you've never been to Telluride, man, it's, it's just really awesome place. The town is sort of, you know, located at the end of the road in this canyon that's surrounded on three sides by just massive rocky mountains. Um, and the Galloping Goose Trail is actually, it's an old railroad grade. There was a railroad called the Galloping Goose or a steam engine, something. But the trail itself uh, sort of starts in town and just winds around, you know, sticking to the edge of of the mountain there. And yeah, you just get amazing views of the valley and everything around there. So that's, that's definitely one that is really memorable for me anyway, but again, not, not a trail that you're going to ride and be like, that was a really awesome, you know, trail ride. Yeah. I've not ridden in Telluride, but I've been there to visit and I can definitely back up Jeff in saying that it is incredibly beautiful place. I mean, it's idyllic. It looks like a postcard, you know, the town really does like the main street ends at the mountains, you know, so you are in this little canyon. So it's, it's hard to get to. It's in the middle of nowhere. And since you're in this surrounded on three sides by mountain, it's not like there's a highway right to the, right to main street and Telluride. You gotta, gotta work to get there. Yeah. And one other thing to mention about Telluride is there is a gondola service there that runs year round, uh, and it's free. So it's, it's in the town and it, you know, lets people get from the town up to one of the resort areas. Um, and in the summertime, you can, you can bring your bike on it and you can actually get off at the top, or at least you used to be able to. I think I heard that maybe they're considering suspending it. But anyway, at one point it was free to do that. So you just put your bike on and then you can do as many downhill laps as you want on these sort of, you know, backcountry trails. Not, it wasn't a bike park, but, uh, they were, yeah, free downhill. So check that out. So speaking of free verts, <laughs> what are some of the best shuttle rides or descents that you guys have found in Colorado? Well, I'll chime in here. That same trip where I was talking about, we went and saw Greg in Salida. We also went over to Colorado Springs and shuttled Pikes Peak with uh, one of our regular contributors, John Fish. And that was just incredible. Pikes Peak is 14,110 feet tall at the top and you get to ride 
all the way back down to the town of Colorado Springs, which I think was uh, around 8,000 feet of descent uninterrupted, uh, which made for the coolest uh, Strava elevation profile <laughs> ever. It was just a <laughs> like a you know 20 degree diagonal line for I don't even know how many miles it was. Yeah, there was literally like 29 feet of climbing. Yeah, <laughs> so you don't even notice it. The top part of it was uh, was partially rideable, barely rideable. I don't know. I guess it depends on who you are. If your trial skills are really good, maybe you can ride more than than I could. But it's just chunky, bouldery rock with like kitty litter style sprinkled in between it. So there's a lot of sections where I you know you had to walk your bike down the hill, which is never awesome. But you know once once you kind of got through the the first couple miles of that of getting on and off on and off you could it, it got much more rideable especially when you got back towards the trees it's still very very technical at the midsection of the mountain but i like technical so that was that was a lot of fun and then as you get lower down it it just gets faster and faster and faster which is cool but uh pike's peak you know it is really accessible from colorado springs so you have to keep in mind that there are going to be other people using the trail. There's a lot of people that hike up. I think it's Bar Trail, right? So, yeah, I think we went on. It was a, a summer, late summer day. Uh, it was a weekday, and there was still plenty of traffic, and a lot of them were wearing earbuds and not really paying attention. So, unintentionally scared some people just because you know I, I yelled at them for you know a couple minutes, and they didn't respond so yeah eventually you had to make your way around them so it gave gave a couple hikers a little bit of a scare but um yeah that's why you don't hike with earbuds in guys yeah but just an incredible and incredible descent and i mean eight thousand feet of vertical i've never descended that much since for sure or before it is it is kind of a you know it's a logistical challenge to get up there uh you have to I mean, I guess you could ride it as an out and back if you wanted to climb 8,000 feet. You could do that. Uh, not sure why you would, but, uh, you do have to drive up to the top and there's, I think there's like a $10 charge per person or something when you're going up. So you have to have somebody to drive you up and then drive the car back down. Cause it's not like you're going to ride back up the hill to go get it after you're done. <laughs> but yeah, Pike's Peak, incredible. It's hard to be 8,000 feet of descending. So, you know, I'm probably not going to be able to top that. But, you know, we, we talked about Trail 401 in Crested Butte. But if you really want a good descent in Crested Butte, you should do Dr. Park, which is a, just a absolutely killer descent. It's very similar sort of in feel to the Canyon Creek descent that Aaron mentioned, except you can shuttle to the top of it with a 4x4 truck. So you can pedal it if you want, or you can get a ride to the top, which is uh, pretty great. So that's an incredible descent. Monarch Crest, you know, we already mentioned for shuttling, and there's five different descents off the crest. Um, but one that's a little bit under the radar is uh, Rabbit Ears Pass in Steamboat. And this is a little bit under the radar because it's way the heck out in the middle of nowhere. Um, and there's no legal commercial shuttle. So you'll have to coordinate your own shuttle with two vehicles. But it gets you way up to the top of the pass, again, on the Continental Divide Trail. And you go all the way back down into Steamboat, which is a great descent. And you can drop back uh, several different ways. One of them is through the ski resort. Technically, you can't ride the DH trails in the ski resort without a lift ticket. But there are 
uh, general sort of two-way traffic trails that you can use. And there's a few other um, alternative backcountry routes, um, but again, some of them like Fish Creek Falls do it during the week when there aren't any hikers out and about. Yeah. So a lot of people, when they think of Colorado, they associate the state with snow and skiing for obvious reasons. But even if you are heading to Colorado in the wintertime, it's still possible to ride dry single track. So Greg, what are some of your recommendations for winter rides in the state? We've already touched on a few, so I'm going to skip a bit over them. But Cruda Grand Junction is uh, the main area for sure. That's definitely desert. And most of the front range stays pretty dry. We also mentioned uh, Arkansas Hills and Salida and Phil's World down in Cortez. But a few areas that we haven't mentioned yet that are basically you really only want to ride here in the winter because it gets so hot in the summer. Uh, one is Pueblo Reservoir on the Front Range. And that is, if any trail in the state is going to be rideable, uh, it's going to be Pueblo Reservoir because it is dry, it is desert, and it gets hot in the summer. So midwinter, go there. Uh, Canyon City, Colorado is close to Pueblo, close to Colorado Springs and accessible from the Front Range, but it is a desert and they've been building trail like crazy there. It's it's also an hour from me and I've been driving down there almost every weekend because there's so much new trail to explore. So again, that's a place you probably don't want to ride in the summertime, but you come in the winter and that's uh, amazing. And the final one I've got to throw out there is the Sidewinder Trail, which is like over in Montrose. So you could loop this one into a, a Fruita Grand Junction trip, but this is a just incredible, like long distance sort of point to point trail. And I'm forgetting the length off the top of my head. It's like over 20 miles one way. So it's a, a kind of a fun, neat route type. Yeah. And Greg, I think you kind of touched on it, but um, a lot of the front range trails, the ones that are you know located near the cities in Colorado will stay pretty dry throughout the wintertime. And so in Denver, for example, one of the popular rides when everything else is snowed in is a place called Green Mountain. Uh, and it's it's probably one of the closest sort of real mountain bike places uh, to the city of Denver. But it's, it's basically a treeless green mountain uh, that has single track on it. So basically the name of the game in the wintertime in Colorado anyway, anyway is looking for trails that either don't have trees because it's sunny in Colorado, like all the time. So snow tends to melt out if there's no tree cover. Um, and then also to look low, so low elevation, like the Pueblo reservoir that Greg mentioned. And then also there, there are just so many sort of suburban mountain bike trails located throughout the state, anywhere there are neighborhoods or people, there's just all kinds of like open space places and most of them are have trails that are open to mountain bikes in Colorado Springs for example one of my favorite places to ride was Palmer Park and uh, there's just all kinds of variety there Um, but again it's in town so it's pretty low there isn't a lot of tree cover so it's a good option for wintertime riding well great that was a lot of ground to cover but Colorado is a big state and obviously there's a lot of great riding to be experienced there If you want to read more about these trails and even more great mountain bike trails in Colorado, be sure to go to Single Tracks, where we have literally a decade's worth of trip reports and trail reports and trail reviews and all kinds of stuff that will help you plan your trip to Colorado. That's all we've got this week. Talk to you again next week. Peace.